Hello and welcome to episode 69 of Paper Tuesdays. Uh, Michael Dwyer, Mark Alpin, Robbie Dunn. Well, we've some guests lined up for us today, Mark. It's jiu-jitsu expert, uh, Shawnee Davitt. How are you, Shawnee? Hi, Shawnee. How's it going, guys? Shawnee, I suppose we'll get into it. How did you get into jiu-jitsu? Got into it in about oh, 2008. Uh, I'd finished college in Waterford and I was doing judo at that point down there. And I was already a black belt down there teaching. But when I came back to Wexford, there was no um, judo, uh, there was no jiu-jitsu. There was a, an MMA club down in Wexford Town. So I headed down there uh, just just for a bit of training and kind of saw another side of grappling. That was the jiu-jitsu and got, got hooked into it, loved it. I kind of said I could add this to my judo game and be more all-rounded. And for what I was doing the MMA, I was progressing up to jiu-jitsu. So, yeah, just kept going. Uh, if anyone knows me and I get my tea into, I just stick with it and just don't quit at it till I get really good at it and then just keep going anyway. Back then, it would have been a much smaller community, wouldn't it? Ah, no, Jesus, uh, like a blue belt back then was, you know, like nearly a mystical creature. It was like a unicorn, you know, uh, and the thought of a purple belt was like, oh, my God, this is this is from the heavens. Like, you know, so, um, you know, people were white belts for a long time. If you went to a competition back then, Jesus, the, the blue belt division was like, oh, the cream of the crop in Ireland at the time. Like, you know, uh, it, was, it was very rare. Everyone back then thought, oh, uh, everyone was kind of from um boxing or kickboxing or taekwondo background so the idea of cuddling a guy on the ground aggressively was like what the hell is that you know you kind of scared people a bit you know how would you describe it to someone who'd be interested in doing it as a new year's resolution what do you think are the grounding principles of it uh look i I, jiu-jitsu i kind of think there's a hierarchy to it you know uh first first most importantly with jiu-jitsu for people who are a bit self-conscious and stuff they're there's no striking involved in it. So you're not going to get punched. You're not going to get kicked or anything like that, you know, so your, your face will largely stay nice and pretty. Um, you will get in shape pretty quick as well. Um, nothing makes you move quicker than someone trying to choke you. Um, but the thing is with, with jujitsu is trying to be very patient as well, you know. Um, but what you're doing is you're having to crack as well. You know, you're having, you're having fun. You're learning actual real life practical self-defense things as well. And, you know, you have to find a, a team that's good fun as well. If you're not having the fun, why would you do it, like, re- realistically? Uh, the idea of going in, mixing in with people and learning how to simulate murder uh, doesn't appeal to everyone, okay? But the, the basic things in jiu-jitsu, okay, uh, most fights finish on the ground. So the first thing, one of the first things you learn is how to get the fight to the ground uh, or if you're going to fall on the ground, how to make life a bit more comfortable for yourself via break fall. When you're there, then you're going to learn how to how to finish it off as efficiently as possible, whether that's uh, attacking the, the neck or, or the arm, or when you get to more advanced stages, you're going to learn about leg locks and things like that. You know, So you're going to you know, basically take a guy apart as quick as possible, but have fun while you're doing it as well. Um, look, the thing I'd say, most about jujitsu is it's about using your body to the maximum of efficiency. Okay. Like um, anyone who know actually knows me knows that my body is in tatters. Okay. And that could be from rock climbing accidents. Uh, it could be from uh, big judo matches or MMA matches or something like that. And my knees don't work as well as they should. Uh, so I have to adapt it to suit me and I've developed a style that works very well for me. Other people might have really long legs and they mightn't have a, a really dominant upper body, so you can adapt to suit the needs of the person. 
maybe someone might see themselves as very overweight or whatever. Uh, and I say, okay, we can use, instead of using muscle mass, we can use mass, you know, to take advantage. You know, you, everyone has a different way of using their body shape, you know, and you very quickly get, in, get into shape, you know, like um, you fight, flight or freeze. And if, you're, if your knees are gone like mine, you can't really run that far anymore uh, you know so the flight option is out of it but um it's just getting in having fun and if i like one of the reasons i got into all this stuff was that i used to be a big fan of wwe uh for a long long time and i always want to be able to drop people's elbow and do a stone cold stunner and all that and judo was the closest thing to it at the time um and then when there was no judo jiu-jitsu so you find a lot of lads who are wrestling fans or fans are just getting physical. You got a lot of guys who cross over from rugby, particularly when they're, they're not playing as much anymore, or you'll get a lot of Gaelic football lads getting quite a lot out of it. Um, when Jason Ryan was in charge of the Wexford football team, uh, he had me come down and work with him. Oh. Um, doing some of the preseason stuff. So I done some judo jiu-jitsu stuff with him. Um, and I done some of the preseason work because... I'm a, a fitness instructor, but I'm also got a master's in sports psychology. So I was working all that in and just seeing the crossover in skills. It's amazing. Like the body only moves certain ways. And once you can teach it to move different ways, you can transfer from one sport to another. So like if someone's really good at football and evading tackles and stuff, guess what? You learn how to move your body away from a moving target. So if someone is charging at you, get out of the way, <laughs> you know, and attack the back when they can't attack you. Simples. Yeah, you spoke about transference of skills and you work a good bit with children. That, that must be great because, you know, they don't have any preconceptions and they're a pure force and you can just show them new skills yeah, in that, a new way. You can mould them. You can mold them. It depends what TV shows they've been watching. Yeah. <laughs> if they've been watching the, you know, well, the PJ Master or something like that, they, they all think it's all jumping around, high flying and stuff like that. Or if they're watching some other TV show like uh, Pokemon or something, you have to try and make it relevant to them as well um so uh when i'm teaching the kids i try to if you if there's a hierarchy of coaching first very first thing is fundamental the fundamentals okay first thing you have to make it fun and you have to be absolutely mental to do it okay so uh if i'm doing this we're going to say okay we're going to do a, a rollover and and if you say we're going to do a, a, a tumble it's like oh here we go here's the exercise if you do a tumble and you say all right we're going to do this like um gecko in uh, PJ Masks, they're like, oh, I get to be like one of my favorite superheroes. Like, grand, cool. So you're using tricks in their minds to have fun. Yeah. And yeah. Once they're having fun, they'll buy into it. You know, and then every now and again, you show something kind of a little bit cool, like a backflip, or you show a, a, a throw or something that you make someone do a cartwheel, and like, oh my God, that's magic. And before they know it, they actually know how to do the moves themselves. You've actually taught them how to do all the moves through games. And kids, kids are kids are amazing. You know, they not gonna lie, it can be hard work sometimes, but they are they're great and you can mold them. And one of the things I kind of do with the, the kids' classes is we separate them up into when we could have kids' classes into smaller groups, you know, kind of age depend, you know, age focused and that. And maybe some of the kids who are, are more advanced will let them work with one of our other coaches there, Alex. He'll go through more of the fundamental kind of things. I, I tend to stick with the the basics of movement and hu human movement patterns and stuff like uh, humans weren't meant to sit in front of a computer screen all day and you know be hunched over and stuff they're meant to climb trees fight wrestle swim run 
that's what we're these fabulous bodies are made for. So getting kids to learn that how amazing their bodies are, that's that's kind of what I go to. And I teach the, the basic moves. And you know, if if I say something like a, a hip escape, okay. So Mark, you know what a hip escape is now. So if uh, basically if you're on someone's on top of you, you shift your hips to the side so they can, you know, they're not on top of you anymore. You can get away. And if I say that a shrimp, what the Americans would call it a lot, they're like, what? That's shrimp. And I say, okay, I'm going to call it the prawn. And they're like, oh, like those strange things that mommy and daddy eat. And you're like, yeah, okay. And they curl their body and come out of it. That's it's about getting into the kid's head and learn it the way they learn, you know? Yeah. And um, speaking of that kind of thing, I don't know if you know, but I teach a lot of special needs judo classes, uh, particularly for kids. Uh, we call it judo assist. And all we do is we get the, the kids in and they um, they just do judo the exact same. You know, the, you have to make some adaptations depending on uh, what the ability level is. You know, um, like for, for some kids maybe with Down syndrome, I don't know if you're aware of it, but in Down syndrome, there can be a looseness in the neck where literally the skull can literally lift straight off spinal column. Okay. So like, obviously you have to check that first before, you know, you get a medical on that. But um, so just to make that safe for those kids, we don't do any of the headlock throws or headlock pins because literally if you grab someone by the head and throw them, you know, <laughs> things could happen. We we don't like that kind of stuff. But um, for some kids with, with autism and stuff, uh, they'll need a thing called deep pressure, which is kind of, you know, people wear weighted blankets sometimes to help relax them. If you want to get weight on you, get a judo guy to pin you and you will know what weight and pressure on your chest is. And they find it so therapeutic. It's amazing. No way. That's unbelievable. What I love, Shawnee, is that you have a few interests and they're all connected through martial arts and that. But like you've upskilled and you've degrees in social care right up to sports psychology. And they all tap into what you're all about. It must be great to have that skill set behind you as well. Ah, yeah. No, it, it's it's good to have. I'm always learning. Like, Jesus, uh, like I'm in my library here now with a couple of hundred books. And, you know, you never stop learning, you know. Whether it's reading some kind of a fantasy novel about an orc attacking some kingdom or something, or reading Tyson Fury's new book, there, you know, you just learn from other people's experiences and see if it'll actually, you know, help you. Like, yeah. but um, you know, I think one of the things is real for people to start realizing who they actually are as well. Right. You know, um, I always remember when I was in school and I was sixteen doing leaving cert, and well, I had a, a guidance counselor, and he said, oh. You know where the money is now, boy. You know, you'd want to get into that electronic engineering. I'm going, okay, I'm really crap at maths, but sure. Went went on the PLC, went to college, done it for two years, and I sucked at it. Absolutely sucked. Uh, but I did find judo there, so that kind of helped me find my other my other things. But um, done a PLC then in sports and recreation. Done the done the social care. Started a social care degree at the same time, so doing two courses at once. And I just felt, okay, I meant to deal with people <laughs> rather than machines, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, I just found Special Olympics at that point then. And I was like, okay, if I can work with people with special needs and sports together, it's like, great, this is great. Love this. And I just kept advancing it and advancing and advancing it. And now, like, my day job is I, I run a a service in Wexford called Kite, which is for people with um, high-functioning autism or Asperger's, what some people would call it. 
and people who have left school and trying to find their, their way in life, I suppose. And, you know, and same, same time at that, like I do the, the, um, the Gory Grappling Academy as well. So you're helping people from, from all strands. We're, we're meant to host the European Jiu-Jitsu or Judo, Special Needs Judo Championship there in October last year up in Nina. Uh, but COVID kind of destroyed that. But we have a couple of European champions in our gym, you know, uh, Special Olympics European champions. And they would kick anyone's ass. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not joking. You like you, they kill you. There must be great satisfaction in seeing their progress. Oh yeah, like it. it uh, people might think, okay, yeah, that that movement's easy. You know, I'm gonna t- take autism for example, because yeah. you know, it's it's one that's it's very close to me. Um, so so I might say, oh, just uh, step here, step here, step here, and go. Uh, that put your hip across. Okay, so that might sound simple to someone who has full control of their movement patterns. You know, um, someone with, with autism mightn't have that kind of control. Uh, they might have to calculate everything up in their mind because their, their mind is kind of moves or um, works slightly different. So they might have to really motor plan that, might have to really kind of focus and repeat it. Uh, so it becomes muscle memory. So well, well uh, say I was teaching yourself a basic hip throw, Michael, um, I, I okay, put your hand around the waist, uh, grab them by the elbow, put your hip across and flip. And you might see that and you're like, okay, kind of cool. And you might feel a little bit unsure at first, and, but you'd probably learn it within five minutes or the basic variation of it. So maybe with autism who might have um, motor planning issues, it could take two or three days of constant uh, repeat. But the thing is they will never forget it because the, the, if you want to put neural pathways and all that, in their brain will actually teach them to, to do it. You know, so like when you see how, how hard it is for people with very special needs to do it, and that's that's when they're in the door. It can be hard enough for people to even come in that door first. Like a, um, the first time someone enters uh, maybe a martial arts dojo or a gym or something, it's intimidating. Can you imagine entering a gym for the first time or a dojo when everyone has told you, oh, you, you wouldn't be good at it. Uh, it might be too hard for you. Or, um, or they maybe they've done a team sport and maybe they were isolated, no one passed them the ball or something like that. And then they're saying, oh, try another sport. And their head's already in their hands walking in. They're maybe doing it to keep their mom or dad happy or something like that. And they come in and they find out, oh, well, I can play games. I can learn moves. And before I know it, I'm actually able to compete if, I, if they choose to. You know, so a lot of stuff I do in those classes is to get People start believing in themselves, you know, and what they can do rather than what they can't or what people tell them they can't do. You know, um, I suppose another thing we've done, on, done a, it's separate. We used to work in St. Aidan's in Gorey, up in the Searsha unit. Uh, and we used to put on this great show called Searsha on Stage. Okay. Uh, I used to sell out the little theatre every year. Great, crack. I used to get the piss taken out of me every year. Just used to be ourselves, few staff, on stage and the guys themselves would be put on the show now it could be that we have this comedy sketch and basically i'd be facilitating all the gags but the lads would be maybe shooting me and i have to hop off the ground do a big break fall or i might have all my clothes ripped off and i'll be in a, a pair of jocks standing there or whatever it didn't, it didn't matter it didn't matter but what we actually did was all the guys who were very self-conscious now in the first couple of months before the end of the whole show or at the end of the year, 
they were just so proud up on front of the stage. Uh, it was kind of, kind of that feeling, that great showman kind of thing. You know, um, the This Is Me song kind of thing was one of our teams. And um, it just kind of showed the, showed the lads themselves what they could do if they had a bit of support. And, and, that, and each year it got bigger and bigger and bigger. I showed everyone who was there exactly what they can what they can do because sometimes people kind of say, ah, I sure it wouldn't be the same. I can tell you they put on some show. It's the exact same with anyone, anyone who steps on the mat who has, doesn't have the belief in themselves. I suppose that's my my biggest thing is trying to put a bit of belief into people as well. So you must be continually fascinated by the potential of the human being. You know, there there's there's two sides of it, you know. Um what people believe they can do you know, uh, because what they've seen are people intrinsically just think, yeah, I can do that, yeah. you know. Uh, like, personally, I always had, had this concept of why why can't I do it? You know, I, I always kind of like, ah, Sean, you're too small to do that. Like, I, I'm five foot six and weigh 150 pounds. Uh, uh, maybe I sometimes bulk up to 160 after Christmas. And people say, oh, you're too small. You'd be too small. So they oh, no, I could do that. You know, um, and the other people are they just they don't have that level of self belief, and and that maybe could be from being a kid or something, and falling out of a tree, and then kind of going, oh, I'll never be able to fall, climb a tree. You know, um, I take a, a quote from Lightning McQueen. Do you know who he is? From Cars, is it? Yeah, yeah. You can find motivation from anywhere, lads. Yeah, I'll tell you, and and uh, it's in Cars Tree, and uh. I think it's Cruz, little yellow car. Kind of, she's kind of like, um, she tried to be a race car driver or something like that. Yeah. And she couldn't do it. And um, she kind of said, she asked Lightning, you know, like, how did you become a race car driver? How did you think you'd win it? And he said, I never thought I couldn't. Yeah. And that just, it's between two different mindsets. You know, yeah. and I think mindsets is what makes humans amazing. Apart from all the physical abilities and that, uh, like, I just got back to the autism, like, I, I see lads with autism who can figure out equations that are identify patterns that I cannot fathom. Yeah. You know, uh, just because someone's not making eye contact doesn't mean they're not talking to you. Yeah. You know, so uh, humans are just amazing. I'm telling you. Um, and it takes all kinds of humans, <laughs> you know, you know, that, that, that's the thing. Like human bodies, fantastic. Human minds, even more amazing. That's what I got most from training jiu-jitsu with Shawnee. It's not, it's not I can't do it, it's that I can't do it yet. Like, yeah. There was no way I ever thought I'd see myself to doing an arm bar, but within a couple of months, I sort of was there, like, and I was getting it slowly but surely. It just takes yeah. time. Yeah, you can't, just because you can't do it right now doesn't mean you can't do it tomorrow. Yeah. That transfers over to other parts of your life too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of like a, I say, uh, if, if someone's pinning you down or choking you or something like that, right? Um, yeah, it's a miserable, miserable time. You know, you know it, to be honest, like someone choking is not good. Um, but, you know, it, you transfer that to, re- to real life. I always thought of something like finding a fiver in your jeans pocket just before payday when you, you don't have a penny and you're, you just want to get something in the shop. You know, like you're walking past and you're like, oh, she's loving, a, uh, I don't know, a Moro or something like that. I used to have one of a selection box 10 minutes ago. And, and you're like you, you haven't gone in your bank account. You're getting paid tomorrow, and then you just reach back in the back pocket. Jeez, there's a two cent, two euro coin. And you're like, oh my god, I have that tiny bit of breathing space. And you use that, and look, that that two that two um, euro will just get you through till tomorrow. 
And it's like when you're being choked, and if you can move your head to the side slightly, you get a tiny bit of breathing space. A tiny bit of breathing space. The same as trying to survive from one paycheck to another. A tiny bit of breathing space will will help you will help you survive and feel better. And you'll get there. You know, it's it's everything transitions from one part of life to another. And there's metaphors come out your ears if you want. Yeah. But it's just finding that little bit of breathing space. It's it's like finding that fiber in the pocket. It's it's like finding that tiny bit of space, just get a few more breaths in before you can get that time to escape. You know, and it's being patient. That's that's the key. Be patient. <laughs> We're Mark and Michael, and this is our story. Welcome to our confession tape. So what happened was we had some technical difficulties in recording this mm. podcast. Shawnee was actually recorded before Tommy Martin, but what happened was the microphone wasn't working correctly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's my fault. I was late as well. I was unprepared. And this in itself, Paper Tuesdays, is an example of why, you know, we learn a lot in the lessons of this podcast. And Anyway, to go a bit more into what like what happened or why this might seem weird or yes, the video please. or sound might seem weird is because we've gone back and recorded our end of the conversation. So we have a script <laughs> of everything that me and Michael said for the whole show and we've had to read we've been reading lines for this whole recording shawnee hasn't been here and that's why it might sound weird and sometimes it says ha 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 in the script <laughs> robbie wrote so it's been read as ha 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 not a real laugh yeah so anyway We're we just... might use a disclaimer we might not depending on how it comes out but yeah. yeah, and just to say, it couldn't have been saved without Robbie Dunn. That's just, yeah, it goes the, without saying. The because workload. otherwise, Shawnee David would be in the dustbin of history. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It's, it's been monumental. Knock yourself out. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, is there anything else you witnessed as a first-timer under Shawnee doing jiu-jitsu? Yeah, I suppose what I noticed first was the community aspect of it and how, you know, everyone there is, is more friends than people that are just coming together for a sport or whatever. It's a real learning sort of a an environment and everyone there started at zero and you can tell that and they remember that. So they're they're very patient with you and very, very uh, understanding of your level and they work with you in that regard. And it's really good and it's very it's very nice environmental learning. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. one thing we, we really do focus on is community tarts. You know, if you're not in there, you're not having fun why the hell would you do it? You know, it, it's the truth of it. Like, you know, you might as well be smiling while getting uh, tortured <laughs> as, as being grown, man. You know, and you know, sometimes the, the hardest parts are the most fun parts as well. You know, when you have, when you're someone to share it with you, you know, if you're doing a, a technique on someone and it, it might hurt, it's like, you know what, you're going to get to do it on him now in a second or her, <laughs> you know, and I can tell you, some of the ladies in the gym are, are the most vicious. You know? Yeah. You know, if you ever hear of the boa, you, you'll know. <laughs> there's a respect and discipline there as well, Shawnee. There's no egos, no cliques. There's that embrace between fellow jiu-jitsu, uh, what do you call yourselves, participants? <laughs> and um, no shoes on the mats. And the, they're very important as well, aren't they, Shawnee? Oh, they're, they're massive. Look, um I think that's kind of inherent. You know, you walk into a place and you get the kind of culture of it pretty quick. Uh, you know, like on the first first thing, to, when people come in, um, you know, you'll know who's a bit tentative, who's not not comfortable. Uh, for, one of the first things, I, I make one or two jokes. I just kind of say, all right, who's injured? Who's more injured than normal? 
who you know, and I, I welcome uh, the new people. Maybe there's a, a few of them there at first. I don't know all their names. And by the end of that session, I will know the, know their names. You know, and you'll drop little hints during the session of what the, the kind of culture is. You know, we don't put shoes. We don't put shoes in the mats. And, and say so one of the reasons why we don't do that is because maybe you might have walked in dog shite and your shoe goes on the mat and then someone's face is rubbed on that. No one wants dog shite in the face. Nice, simple, straight to the point. You know, you say that in a kind of jokey way and everyone goes, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, um, uh, one of the things I'd say about respecting your training partners is without your training partners, you can't really practice your jujitsu. You know, so if you go around and be a, a, a douche and you really hurt people, no one's going to want to train with you. Therefore, you're not going to be able to progress your skills. And, you, you know, you start relying on things that aren't really there. And that's another, that's another thing. Like, you know, again, if, I, if I'm rolling, and I don't mean to sound any cocky, I can roll with, with most of the guys there and have my wicked way if I wanted. But what am I going to learn about that? You know, I'd rather kind of put myself, hop in, have a bit of fun, put myself in a dodgy position and go, right, I have no idea what this guy's going to do because he doesn't know really what to do from there. So total random. And then in my head, I used to go, right, how am I going to get out of this? And the other guy is focused on how am I going to get him? You know, totally alien concept. I can learn from that. You know, like I can continue to advance it because someone might have a totally unorthodox movement pattern. And I go, oh, never saw that coming. Uh, and they probably never saw the escape. So even at, at a black belt with... 20 something years of grappling experience, I can still kind of get caught. It's like, yeah, cool, I learn. You know, you're you're at a, you're on anyone who's in train on the mat, you're there's no heroes there. It's just it's just just soldiers. Everyone's there to learn, progress. Yeah, you have your leaders. Every every army does, you know, but it doesn't mean anyone's more important than anyone else. You know, uh, Bruce Lee said, if you have two arms, two legs, you just choose to use them differently. That's it. You know. So like everyone, as far as I'm concerned, everyone in my gym, no matter what ability level, they're, they're all equal. Anyone who steps on a mat is a hero to me. Because you put yourself out there. It's hard to even get in there sometimes. Work, work hard all day. Listen to absolute hell. Or, geez, it depends on what your, your job is. We have teachers, guards, social care workers, social workers, everything in there. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. When you're on the mat, you're all equal. You know, you just you're working together to, to get stronger and to have the crack as well. You know, that, that's it. Like some of the best fun you have is straight after the session when everyone's after choking each other and we're just slagging the hell out of each other. Yeah. And the hardest part is get people to go bloody home. Have you traveled much to learn jujitsu? Yeah. Yeah. Um, usually we go to Portugal every year and um, the team this year, COVID kind of put paid in that. I went to the States there two years ago to teach uh, seminars for two weeks. Um, I've traveled to compete in um, UK, Spain, Scotland. Uh, that's all. That's all judo, as well. Um, yeah, I've done quite a bit of traveling. I love it. Absolutely love it. It opens up such opportunities as well. Yeah, you know. Um, most of it was learned fairly locally, though, was it? Most of it where where I learned from. And um, the yeah. judo is all was all Waterford. Right. And I was in college down WIT. Learned it there. And then um, the coach kind of retired then and I kind of had to take it up. So a lot of that after I got my black belt was self-taught. You know, um, I travel occasionally up to, the I travel up to the national squads and take techniques from there and sessions. And 
and that um, my jujitsu as well largely was very self-taught. I got fundamentals, well, I adopted them uh, from judo, which anyone knows they're, they're very they're very similar. It's kind of same jacket, different rules. You knew much the same stuff. Um, well, like I've, I've traveled for seminars, like I said, to to learn uh, Dublin, Cork, all, all over Ireland. You know, if there's someone coming over that I think would be really interesting to learn off, of course I'm going to go learn. You know, I, I have no bother if they want to use me as a bloody guinea pig. You know, I'm kind of getting the, wow, <laughs> you have to find out exactly where it hurts, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I'll, I'll travel anywhere. But um, largely... Uh, most of everything I learned is in Wexford. That's interesting, Tony. While people think they need to travel to upskill, you know, I never thought someone could emerge from Waterford with a black belt in judo. So I suppose it shows just how accessible martial arts are here. Yeah, no, it's very accessible. Look, uh, to get your, your judo black belts, uh, you do all the training, but you have to go to a nas- national grading to get it. Uh, in order to get to, to test your theory thing, you have to, for your, your black belts, you have six people going for on a day you have to win six mat or five matches against those guys. So if you get those five, if you win those five matches, those guys are not getting their black belt that day. All right. So it's not exactly blood sport or something, but it's some of the most aggressive matches you will ever see. Yeah. And there's no weight division. Judo hurts. Judo hurts. You know, it's it's, it's gravity. <laughs> you know, what goes up goes down very hard. Um, but uh, like, and you have to win those. Your, your bats you can that's kind of get an honor and then you do your theory test once you finish that you have to do your kata test and then a technique test so uh, judo black belts very prestigious that's very hard to come by um, so you have to get your, your certain amount of points to, to get it you know so once you're training hard and you have good training partners around you yeah you will get it you know but uh, the fact that the team we had in Waterford at that time were there's a lot of black belts there and they just bet me up. They beat me to a pulp. And then I learned that was the sta- that was the standard I needed to be at in order to get my black belt. And I did. And now a couple, couple of my friends are, are judo black belts as well. We would have been the old guard down the WIT team for a long time, you know. And yeah, we we done it. And you know, it, it's a matter of putting a, a team together. You know, it doesn't matter where it is. You know, it, it could be out in the backyard. Once you get the right people working together, you know, on a similar mindset, it works. You know, and so Waterford was great, and we're, we're replicating in Gorian. We're making some really high class athletes there. You know, with a, with a good attitude as well. You know, it's not fighting having a, a bad attitude and, and being really good at beating people up. No one wants to train with you. What strikes me about Gory Grappling Academy is that you have some real good role models and leaders and people that are going to excel not only in martial arts, but also in their personal life and their career as well. Shawnee, you had to go through the discipline and how has that transferred to your personal life? Uh, simple philosophy. If you want something, go and get it. Do everything in your power to get it. You know, figure out what you need to do. You know, people talk about this great idea of a long-term goal. And they're like, oh, great. Someday I will be this. Then it's the, oh, short-term goal. You know, use this. Don't forget, there's process goals as well. There's all those little tools you need to achieve that. Um, so, like, um, first of all, if you're going to want to progress to a higher belt, train. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, don't quit until you get what you want. And once you've got there, you're going to want more. So you're going to keep progressing. You know, so trust trust the process, 
you know, trust yourself and just don't give up. And um, I, I don't I don't give up on stuff. That's that's my thing. I, I'm nearly 40 and I'm still competing at a fairly decent level, you know, because um, I believe I can and because I want to, you know, now that, that's it. You just um, you can you can choose to give up. Failure is an option. Giving up is an option. You just don't have to accept it. You know, just and if there's an obstacle, find how to get over it. If you can't get over it, go around it. Can't do that, go under it. Yeah. You know, there, there's always ways around an obstacle. And you have a few people behind you that, that support you and give you the help that you need. You know, like, um, I could say, if I said, um, yeah, I do sports psychology. And I go, oh, grand. If I just said I do psychology, it doesn't sound as cool, does it? You know, like if you said you want to go talk to a psychologist, people say, oh, you obviously must be mad. So I'm going to talk to a sports psychologist. Oh, wow, awesome. You know, and it, it's just packaging it up and just sell it off a different way. You know, it's, you know, that's, that's all this stuff is. You know, like um, if you're talking to a sports psychologist, half the time you have a counseling session, you know, about everything else that's distracting you from actually the sport that you're meant to be doing. You know, and just compartmentalizing and putting it away. And that's, if you really want to achieve something, sometimes you need to compartmentalize other things, put them to the side and focus on the task at hand and say, right, that's done. Now I'll take that box out and do it. Yeah. You know, well, life's only as complicated as you make it a lot of the time. Uh, on sports psychology, do you work one-on-one? -on -one do you work with teams? Or, and what's your focus? Sports psychology, um, you know, I, I generally, there's no... There doesn't seem to be a, a draw for it down down in Wexford direction. Um, you know, uh, I would happily put it out there one on ones, but a lot of time I just put including my coaching. You know, and um, you know, I I'll happily do it like I done with, with Jason and stuff. I remember he said, um, "Do you want me to do one on one session?" He said, "No, just talk to the lads." That's it. You know, some sometimes someone might have a might be able to get a last set doing a a heavy squat or something, and so you don't have to put the arm around them. You just said, Jesus, that was, that was pretty impressive. You get it next time. And if they validate, if they think that you're a, an appropriate role model, they'll go, all right, that means something. You know, and that, that builds up the confidence as well. Um, what, would I, what I like to do, um, like higher performance stuff with sports psychology, of course, I'd love to do it. Okay. But the first thing where, where we are at the moment, it's very hard to, it's very hard to do it. You know, people are so focused on the physical attributes. Like, there's a lot of really good uh, personal trainers out there. Mark is one of them. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good guys out there. And people are focused on that that physical aspect at the moment. And they forget about that top six inches. Eddie O'Sullivan would have been a big fan of the, the top six inches, using your head. That's what's going to get the, the best performance. Mark, I'd say, like, if you're trying to get a guy to lift, like, a, a one rep max, okay, and they know that, Jesus, the most I've ever lifted is 80. They kind of set that bar at it, don't they? That's it. Right. How, how do you think you get them to lift that 82.5 kilo? If you can expand the person's mind and their, their belief, their body will progress. You know, wherever the head goes, the body follows. You know, that's that's in martial arts techniques, but it's in life as well. If your head believes you can go somewhere, your body will follow it. Like your body's only a tool. 
Yeah, actually, Sean, I don't know if you remember, but the first time we met uh, when we rolled, you told me you were a sports psychologist and that I sort of told you a few problems I had had in the past when it came to sport and my performance on the pitch on and off it. Yeah, all right. But what you told me was that basically there's, I think it was four reasons why people don't achieve their goals because of their own psychology. And uh, I think one was fear of winning and that one stood out to me. But uh, do you, what were the other ones? Yeah. Like uh, there, there's four, four big things people are afraid of. Uh, this is in life in general. Right, so fear the unknown. That's what you were touching on there, Mark. Okay, All right. Fear, fear of injury, fear of being evaluated by other people, and what do you think the the other one is? You just said it. Fear of the outcome, winning or losing. You know, like if you win, brilliant. Everyone loves you, and you're like, oh great, oh shit. Now I'm in the Premier League. I'm Fulham. Oh no. All right. You know, you fear <laughs> fear of losing. It's like. No one likes to lose, uh, but I, I find the biggest one was um, the fear of being evaluated by other people, yeah. what other people think of you. You know, uh, like just say you went you went shopping one day and you you got a deadly jacket, what you thought was a deadly jacket, and you're like, oh hey, I got this, you know, and you walk out and someone said, oh geez, that thing looks like muck on you. And you're like, oh, you know, it's what other people think of you it has such an effect on you emotionally. But uh, a lot of it is just being secure on, in yourself as well. Like, I know my hair is fuzzy as that most of the time, okay? And I do not care, you know? <laughs> that, that's it, like, but um, some, it really does get in on some people, you know, what other people think of them. And that's what some people are afraid of. You know, fear of injury, that, that's very self-explanatory, really, isn't it? And um, like that, that's it, like. You know, it's it's fe- it's people's fears yeah and especially when it's fear of outcome it's it's change and change can be scary but another thing was letting other people's view influence us too much and i came up recently with the simple idea of just saying well what is that telling me about myself more so than anything is it a question of is it uh is your opinion of yourself based off what other people see you yeah yeah and if that's the case that that's a form of narcissism you know, if you're so concerned what other people see you, you're you're seeing them as the mirror. You know, you're looking at other people and what they reflect back to you is the image that you think of yourself. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just have to take take away, take away that and just have a look from inside yourself and say what you actually are. What other people see of you is based off their, you know, their history and what their perception is, you know, so. Like, don't forget, someone's opinion is um, simply a result of their past. You know, like you might say, I like salty chips. Some say, oh, I don't like salty chips. And you're like, why, why don't you like salty chips? Or like, oh, I had its greasy, greasy ones before. And you're like, oh, okay, fair enough. That explains why you don't like salty chips. Yeah. You know, it's a bit early for salty chips, but it just popped into my head there. <laughs> uh, you mentioned rock climbing earlier, Shani. When did that come up? Was it just a hobby or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I look, uh, I've got a, a hell of a lot of injuries, you know, uh, but probably my gnarliest one is my, uh, my right knee. And uh, I'll show you in a minute. Um, but I was, uh, we were rock climbing on a school tour before and the harness came undone. Uh, so I fell about 30 foot and smashed my knee on a rock on the way down. So it kind of looks like a dog's leg. Uh, but I, I like extreme sports stuff. You know, like I love I love rock climbing. I love surfing. Uh, I'm a very outdoorsy kind of guy. 
But uh, yeah, I, I'll show you this now. And Waterford Hospital said, can we see that there? <laughs> there we go. That's my leg as straight as it goes. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. It's fairly, fairly <laughs> warped. Uh, yeah, so I have, I have no posterior cruciate ligament in that. Oh. You know, um, they kind of dug Waterford Hospital. I think I was like 16 when it happened. It was the end of my boxing career anyway. And uh, they said, oh, I had to grow back. Uh, it didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'll throw out my, my uh, judo career, jiu-jitsu and uh, MMA and all that. I never had a PCL in my right knee, you know. JD Mac. It's like I have I've two, um, two kneecaps, so it's just a knee full of solid bone, which is really good for hitting people with, but uh, it, it hurts sometimes. <laughs> when the weather is cold, arthritis sets in, you know, so... Uh, yeah, no, I love stuff like that. But uh, yeah, rock climbing, it hurts when you fall. Sean, we're going to do some silly questions now that'll be a bit less philosophical. So if you could be any inanimate object, what would it be and why? Oh, Jesus. Any inanimate object. Oh, probably a stapler. Yeah, yeah. Hold things together, you know, highly functional. And what's your favorite all-time book? What's my favorite all-time book? Ooh, favorite all-time book. I'm going to say Brett the Hitman Hart's autobiography. Oh, I didn't know he had one. Oh, geez, he does, yeah. He talks all about the Montreal screw job and he talks about all the stuff behind the scenes and his family things and the death of his brother and all that. Really good. Yeah, that was rough about Owen. Uh, about Owen, yeah. No, it's a, it's a tough one, but it's a, it's a good book. Like, Wasn't that on live television? No, no, um, it was on a pay-per-view. Uh, he was meant to come down out of the rafters, as I think the, uh, the Blue Blazer or something like that. And uh, at least it wasn't, a, it was worse than what happened to me. Like, uh, his harness was undone, came down, hit the head off the turnbuckle. Stone dead. And they had to go and continue the pay-per-view. The show has to go on. That was WWE, like, you know, it was, um, but there's a whole, it's a whole world of stuff that goes on behind those curtains and all as well. You know, like the, those guys, by the end of Quarrel Jake the Snake, he was turning up for to do shows for just for bagging cocaine. Like, you know, you know, he was he was in bits, you know. Uh Chris Benoit, should we know what happened with him? You know, he's on so many steroids, his brain was so many concussions, just wasn't working for him anymore, and he literally lost the plot, killed the wife, killed the family, you know. Not good. Uh, you had another one, Sean, on Instagram. The Art of War, was it? Oh, geez, yeah, yeah. Send Zeus the Art of War. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Couple, couple of thousand years old, but it's um, the intricacies of it, like uh, how to use someone's um, weapons against them. You know, if, a, if an enemy's charging at you with loads of chariots, you know, don't stand in the way. Take over those chariots, use them against them. But give one of them to, give one of the chariots to the first guy who captures it. It motivates them because the prestige and all that. Uh, you know, know your surroundings, you know, pick the place where you want the battle to be, you know. So I suppose my world, do I want to start a fight standing? Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, other other things like um, if you were if you have an advantage on some in some form, force your advantage. You know, it it, it transcends to business. You know, if you're bigger than the than the opponent's uh, company or whatever like that, engulf them. 
if they're the same size, don't engage until you find a way of being bigger or weaken them. You know, it's brilliant stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it, it transcends the world. A lot of business readers, business people read it, use it. It's like uh, the Book of Five Rings as well, another one. You know, you know it's, it's all old wisdom, but sure, look, with business, business, uh, war, it's all, it's all, there's a lot of similarities, just human behavior and learning how to understand it. Next question, Sean. I know we talked about the rock climbing accident earlier, but what's the closest you've ever come to dying? Do you reckon that was it? No, no, actually, uh, it was two year old, a two-year-old and used to live in a, a really old house, you know, and it went to fire and I was caught inside it. Yeah, it got out of it though. Um, I was also hit by a truck um, when I was in a buggy. You know, I was about two years old around Camolin. Uh, it's okay, we got a new buggy. Uh, you know, um, let me see oh, what other kind of things. Uh, out running one day, and the Citroen Saxo just plowed into the back of me. Oh my God. I his jacket, and he just put his hand out and said, Oh, sorry about that, mate. I, I was in a ditch, I, had, I was full of adrenaline and ran home. People have tried to mug me before, didn't work out so well, but for him in hospital. So I got stabbed, I got stabbed with Stanley knife, though. Stabbed with Stanley knife, yeah. Or slashed, you know, I was on the way home from, um, what was it, Ruby's in Waterford and I had a kebab and taking a shortcut home. And so I suppose, look, I had my hair down, tight jeans. I probably looked like a young one from behind, you know. Um, they got an awful surprise. Um, yeah, yeah. So I got, got attacked and uh, I got my kebab home and I went to the guard station and told them. But all I remember hearing was crunch and cracks and all that. Uh, Mark, Mark, you know my hip, my hip throws are like my haragashis and ogashis and all that. Yes, yeah. Onto onto curbs and yeah. arm bars and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, put them in the hospital. The, they were found in the hospital while I'm still carrying Stanley knife. You know, so uh, they didn't press charges apparently. Uh, so yeah, that's a couple of close close ones, but I'm not dead yet. I told you, immortal can prove otherwise. A despondent looking Brian Cody walked into the tunnel and I went over to him and said, Brian, you can't begrudge us this. He looked back at me and simply replied, well done, well done. Oh, nice. <laughs> Play on words there. Will I give you a quote from a book? Oh, oh yeah. please do. All right, let's see what have I got here. Right. Stephen King's it. <laughs> now there is... 1,149,999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
That's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Did you know in the 1890s there were these Gaelic sports days and they were held in, like, right across the country, but there were ones held in Inch and they, they included as part of the day um, of activity, be it a hurling match, there was also wrestling bouts between people from various parts of the area and they'd also have tug of war competitions as well. So, um, yeah, wrestling is part of our part of our nature. Yep, that's exactly what we'd be doing. Wow. You know, the, the rules are pretty... I, I got contacted about it actually just because of my backgrounds and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, you grab a guy at the collar, you grab a guy at the elbow, you are not allowed to release those grips under any circumstances. And if another point of your body hits the ground, you lose. That's it. So you would have back in the, in the day had lads wearing hobnail boots, kicking the shins off of each other. So, you know, you ever hear of like scuffling or scu- having a scuffle? That's where it came from. That's what the the Yanks used to call Irish um, wrestling. It was a scuffle. So you'd be trying to trip each other up or throw each other, but you had to constantly have those handles, those grips. We're fighting in our blood, really, don't we? Ah, Jesus, yes. Even when you think back of it, uh, I think there's an example when Donnybrook in Dublin, the, the area gets its name from, uh, Donnybrook is an old English word for a fight, and eventually the fights became so gruesome that in the 1850s, well, should the church decide that there was only one way to sort this out, and it was to put a, a church, build a church, right where the fights used to take place. Yeah. Hey, it's, it's, it's one of the best ways to resolve issues. I think there's some place in Mexico, is it? So some South American country anyway, and you can have um, public disorder fights one day of the year to resolve your issues, and that's it. You know, you would have like um, say two guys they went off the same young one the same night. Okay, at least they weren't crossing sabers, and they're like, I want to be with him or or whatever. They would say, right, we're we're signed up to have our fight on that day, yeah. and they'll go resolve it, shake hands at the end, done. You know. And there, any any issues that were in the village, they were all sorted in in the ring or whatever in the the crowd thing, yeah. and issue resolved. They just sorted out one on one. That's great. That's. Could you imagine awesome. if things were done like that? Now? Yeah, all, all done, and it'd be the biggest drinking session ever afterwards. You know, <laughs> and that that's it. That they resolved it. Have a punch up and have points. That was that was how it was done. It's probably why the biggest guy kind of always been was the king of the you know the place. All right, but look, it's how things were done. You know, I do like democracy and law and order as well. By the way, you know, but it's always good to to know you have your back covered if you need it. Yeah, yeah. Shani, thanks very much for that. We really appreciate it. We learned a hell of a lot from that. Cheers, Shani. Thanks very much. That was uh, great. Not a bother, lads. Not a bother. Look, look forward to hearing how it goes and all. All right. Yeah, thanks a million, Shani. That was great.